Hello, I'm Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry, and welcome to the Constitution Segment Recap for Season 2, Episode 19 of Restore Freedom Weekly. This week we talked about, so you've been arrested, now what? So keep in mind as we get started here that this is just a simple recap. Now this episode was almost two hours long. It was a great robust discussion. We had our special guest guest Foshin with us again this week. And uh, so there was so much that we talked about and things that you need to know that you simply can't get them all from this 10 minute video clip, but we'll do our best to cram it in uh, here nonetheless. So uh, again, you've been arrested, now what? We heard from him and uh, he's of course our freedom fighting friend and government exposer and we heard about his most recent battle against ignorance and tyranny and the criminal trespassing charges that he is now facing. Uh, we talked about then what actually constitutes an arrest, uh, what happens once you've been arrested, what your next step should be, and then some brainstorming and answering questions, uh, which pretty much happened throughout the whole episode, but wrapped it up with a few questions at the end. Uh, so you can figure out how to initially fight back once you've been unlawfully arrested, really for anything, but we we're specifically talking about trespassing on property open to the general public. Um, we have our true or false question of the day. I encourage you to check those out every Tuesday at 10 a.m. or at least before 10 p.m. on Tuesdays on our Telegram or YouTube channels. Uh, keep in mind now, next week, we are not having a show. We will have next week, the week, uh, the last week of uh, May off, and uh, you can join us again uh, the first week of June. We may come to you live at Tuesday um, on, at noon, our normal scheduled time, unless our special guest that is going to be with us that day uh, is in a uh, uh, board of commissioners meeting for the county at that time. We may have to come to you a little bit later in the day, but we'll get that all sorted out and make an announcement between now and then. Um, so, uh, like I said, we talked about, uh, after we heard from Foshin what happened, what he was doing or not, that supposedly constituted a crime, we talked about what actually constitutes an arrest. Biggest thing to keep in mind is you don't have to have the handcuffs on, you don't have to be brought to jail in order for you to be arrested. It's basically, if they're using their, their position of authority to deprive you of your freedom of movement, that is uh, enough to be considered an arrest. And generally, an arrest is made with an arrest warrant. Um, an arrest warrant may be made, excuse me, an arrest may be made without a warrant if probable cause exists and exigent circumstances. Um, and we talked a lot about that. Um, it's pretty important. Uh, so what happens once you've been arrested? Well, you have what's called, an, an, your first appearance is called an arraignment. And the basic purpose of that is for you to uh, be read your charges so you know what the charges are, what the possible penalties are. Uh, you are then given the opportunity to uh, have an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one is appointed for you during this process. And you are um, supposed to have your plea put on the record, guilty, not guilty, or no contest. Now, what should your next steps be? Well, uh, totally depends on the situation, but for Foshin, uh, and this, if you're being charged, if you're in any state and you are receiving a criminal trespass charge when you are on property open to the general public, you're going to want to pay attention to this. Now, these uh, tan slides were used from a prior slide presentation <clears throat> talking about my case in Allegan County, but they apply here and to those kinds of cases just the same. Um, a trial court has to dismiss a case if there's a lack of subject matter jurisdiction, which we talked about in detail, and you cannot be stopped from raising that issue, that lack of subject matter jurisdiction by the judge. Um, keep in mind, most of what I cited here is U.S. Supreme Court. There are a few Michigan court cases every now and then, but these underlying principles are the same, and you can find a court rule, a statute, a constitutional provision, or a court case from your own jurisdiction if you happen to be outside of Michigan uh, for these few slides that are super important. Um, again, the lack of jurisdiction of 
subject matter jurisdiction can be raised at any time and cannot be waived. It doesn't matter the jurisdiction. You might just need to find the case that cites that particular uh, theory or, or, or truth, I should say. Um, and the result of raising that is though is to prevent the trial from even happening. So you, the best thing you could do is raise that before trial. But even if you don't know about this or don't know how to raise it, or you have ineffective assistance of counsel and you don't raise this issue until after you've had a trial, you can still raise it after trial. It's that important. Judges need to be on the lookout. It's not just for parties to raise, but judges need to ensure that they have proper jurisdiction before they even go forward, because if they don't have subject matters jurisdiction, any orders or judgments they make, they're void on their face right from the beginning. So um, what are some other slides or presentations or episodes that would be helpful in putting all this information together that we talked about on Tuesday? Well, I put them all here on this particular slide. Of course, the slideshow itself is available. The link for that is in um, uh, it's on page two, um, which I thought I went over, but maybe I didn't. Uh, at any rate, it's on page two or three of this slideshow. So make sure to check that out. Um, at any rate, you have um, elements from season one. We have some episodes from season one, episodes from season two. We have the slideshows themselves from uh, different episodes of season two. So click on these. They're all hyperlinks. They'll take you to various things and discussions we've had before on these topics to give you further information. We talked about that motion to dismiss. That's going to be one of the first things that you're going to want to consider doing, which you can do for a variety of reasons. We put all 10 reasons here, um, as well as um, when you can raise each of those. Um, and we cited to the Michigan court rule, uh, the, the federal rule of civil procedure, uh, Florida court rules, just to give you some starting points. If you live in another jurisdiction besides one of those, you can find these in your own court rules as well. Um, so why did we bring that up? Well, we brought up, you can bring up subject matter jurisdiction at any time, but a motion to dismiss, you file before the trial. And, um, and so we talked about, well, if you don't have subject matter jurisdiction, you want to raise that before trial because it prevents you from having to even go through the trial. But if you don't get to that, you don't know how to do it until after, you can still raise it afterwards. Now, what would be a lack of subject matter jurisdiction? Well, um, let's look at this. For, for Foshin's situation, there was no probable cause to believe he committed a crime. But um, not only that, um, there were no exigent circumstances. Uh, we talked in the context about the general steps in the criminal process, in, in investigation, charging, arraignment discovery, plea bargaining, pr preliminary hearing, pretrial motions, and trial itself. Um, and so the context of, of why it's important for them to take certain steps when they're prosecuting you. Um, and we talked about what exigent circumstances are. It's an emergency situation requiring swift action to prevent imminent danger to life or serious damage to property or to forestall the imminent escape of a suspect or destruction of evidence. And, and none of that was relevant in this situation with Foshin, nor was it in my case. And so there were no exigent circumstances, um, let alone probable cause. Um, so there's just some more information I had in here about that. Um, there's a link to a Florida Supreme Court case that also talks about, you have to look at the severity of the crime. If, if there's a suspect fleeing, what is the severity of the crime? If it's a low level um, victimless misdemeanor, then it, there's no reason that you should be able to do uh, a warrantless arrest, which they did for him in this case. We also talked about how they can't use rules like say not to videotape in a government facility. They can't just use rules and regulations to and convert those at, into crimes where there's not an underlying statute that specifically makes it a crime. So something important to keep in mind. We went into detail last week there, so I'm going to kind of jump over that. And we talked about criminal trespass, really what it is in Florida. We talked about what it is um, in Michigan, and it's the same elements that you have to prove, uh, that you have to remain on property without lawful authority or without a good faith claim of having lawful authority after someone told you to leave and that that person who told you to leave 
leave had the lawful authority to exclude you from the property. And we talked extensively about who has lawful authority to tell you to leave a, uh, a piece of property open to the general public and how you have the right to equal protection and have the right to access all property that is open to the general public. So um, in other words, um, we went into a bunch of details here, but uh, in the end, um, uh, we, the First Amendment does not guarantee access to property simply because it is owned or controlled by the government, but it does protect a right of access to places traditionally open to the public. Um, basically, if there's no if there's no reason to be able to argue that there's a right of privacy someone would have somewhere, um, you know, it's not somebody's house, right? It's it's a place open to the general public. It's it's a grocery store or it's a library or you know some other government facility. Then you cannot deny someone access to that property. Um, now, you, the only reason why you can deny someone access to property open to the general public is number one, if that person is obstructing normal operations, or number two, interfering with others, other people's rights to normal use of that property. Even if one of those two situations uh, is present, it's not criminal trespass that you'd be charged with then, it would be something like disturbing the peace. And I have some Michigan examples of statutes that would be used there. Um, but regardless of who owns it, if it's privately owned or publicly owned, members of the public cannot be excluded from property open to the public through the use of trespassing laws. You cannot be charged with criminal trespass when the property is open to the general public. So keep in mind some important things here from our, our protections of due process, as well as First Amendment protections um, and e rights of equal protection, as well as that guarantee to a Republican form of government. Um, I kept in here some additional information for you as well, some resources directly to the briefs that would be helpful, the sections within those briefs to take a look at. And um, we, of course, talked about the answer to our true or false question of the week, which really summarizes it all. I'm just going to leave it in writing on the screen for you here. You can pause as you need to to check out that answer. Uh, but check out that full episode from Tuesday, our Wednesday way to get involved challenge, and tomorrow's freedom fighting tools. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day.